Huh. Good morning. It's day 108 of these revival talks. I think I'll go to 508. We'll see. Anyway, so I want to talk a little bit about faith. Um, faith is one of those things that we get beat up on a lot. Like, you know, particularly if you have illness or you're trying to believe for something with your children. You know, faith. If you notice with Jesus, there was always faith that was needed in an equation, but it wasn't always, you know, um, the person who was being healed's faith. Sometimes it was the one that brought them that had faith. But faith is like, it becomes like a huge thing in us when we listen to the accusation that we don't have it. And, I'm, you know, I've said before, and I love saying this, I cannot be filled with the Holy Ghost and have the Holy Spirit woven into every part of me and not have any faith. It's, it's just impossible. I can't drink from the cup of faith and devils at the same time. And so I want to read this little quote. Hey, Tracy. Yeah, I'll do that. I will do that. Um, all right, so this is from Crowder's Mystical Union. I've been enjoying this a lot, particularly where he talks about religion. He said, what, what is faith? It means to believe or trust. Have you ever wondered what your primary job description as a, is as a Christian? He said, we've spoken a lot about dead works, so I should repeat again to you what real work is that God requires. Here it is. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. I like that. This is the New Living Translation of John 6.29. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. The gospel gets really, really complicated when we have to have all kind of add-ons. You know, we got to do this and we got to do that and we got to do this and that and add this. And the way we add things on is very subtle. You know, well, you know, um, you need to pray, you know, pray fast for 40 days. I'm not against praying and I'm not against fasting, but I think if we do that, it has to be something that is geared towards something we actually want and enjoy not as a manipulative tool to think that we can get God's attention because we did it. it went, once we go there, we've already thrown that one out. There, you know, we've already, it doesn't work because it's the wrong goal. And so there's so many um, very subtle ways in church and religion that we get told a lot about whether or not we have faith, about whether or not um, we're holy or righteous or what we have to conjure or do to stir it up. He says, frustrated at a prophetic teacher, George Banoff's constant insistence on the finished work of Christ, a pastor once angrily, angrily approached him and asked, what do you expect us to do? Just sit around and believe? <laughs> well, actually, you can't even do that. The craziest thing about the gospel is this, John says, it is impossible to believe. The gospel is simply too good to be true. If the message you've heard is not too good to be true, then it probably isn't. The gospel is too easy, too marvelous, too extraordinary, and too scandalous to be true. And so, even this work is impossible for you to conjure up on your own. You can't make yourself believe the gospel. <laughs> it is impossible. It is impossible for you to pump up faith. You can't generate it, no matter how loud you shout, how long you fast, or how fervently you exclaim, I believe. You still can't work up an ounce of faith. 
He says, faith comes only in one way, by grace. It's an absolute gift of God that you were able to believe. Amazing grace. Uh, he talks a little bit about how the word of the faith people actually got something out there that was really, really true, you know, and that we needed to actually kind of look more at what they were doing when they, um, when they were, you know, taught us how to declare things, you know, to declare things that were unseen and, and that they would manifest in the realm of the seen because the unseen real is more real than what we're ever looking at. He says, um, he goes on to say the last part I'm going to read here. The flavor of faith is not strife and contention. The faith, flavor of faith is rest. In Hebrews 3 and 4, Paul states that the children of Israel never entered the promised land because of their disobedience. He says, do you remember what the disobedience was? Did they actually eat a pig? Did they complain too much about quail and manna? Their disobedience had nothing to do with golden calves or pig barbecues. <laughs> they didn't enter the land because of their unbelief. They were disobedient to the requirement of faith. But next, Paul goes into a profound passage. He says, be careful that you are not like those unbelieving Israelites. Be careful that you don't fail to enter his rest. Hebrews 4.1 Rest is directly correlated to believing. Your number one work is to rest and trust in the Lord. And then the verse, I'm going to read this verse, um, Hebrews 4, 2, and 3 says this in the NIV. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. <laughs> he says, how do the Israelites have the gospel preached to them? <laughs> he talks about um, years before Christ. I mean, they, I mean, the promised land was a type of Christ, you know, a, um, so they were headed to a place that required them to actually just rest and believe. And they were, they were radically incapable of doing that. And I think a lot of times, like with faith, and because we, we question our ability to have faith, I like what he says about faith as a gift. Look, I don't breathe apart from Holy Spirit. I don't have life apart from him. If he's intertwined and woven into every part of my, my being, how could I not have faith? The Holy Spirit is not absence, absent of faith. It kind of gives credence to what John Crowder is talking about there, that I can't, faith is a grace. And it's a product of what the Holy Spirit has um, already deposited in us. We've already have a measure of faith. Sorry about that. Good morning, Carl. <laughs> well, I go take a walk and turn my lights back on. We've already been given a measure of faith, right? And so we don't need more. You know, a mustard seed is enough to accomplish anything. It's impossible for a believer to say that they don't have faith with Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. You have faith. I think the thing that we can say is that we talked yesterday about how, you know, religion's primary goal is to drive us into a place of living independently from God so that everything that we do becomes our way of being able to appropriate something. We have to get something because we did something. The finished work is the finished work. I don't have to do anything to get it. It's already been done. I cannot 
crucify the Lord Jesus afresh because I'm trying to get him to notice, to look, to see. I don't have to. He's already inside of me. He already sees. He's around me. He's below me. He's beneath me. He's woven through every part of my being. So I don't need, I don't need anything else but the work that's already been done. I don't even have to, we talk a lot about appropriating it, doing this. Honestly, I think I'm challenged by the idea that more than me trying to appropriate, position myself fast and, and do, you know, launch a prayer campaign, all of those things are good especially if they're launched from a place of desire and there's something that makes me, that they make us happy. In other words, they're fun. I think the gospel is like really fun. And I think anything that looks like striving, smells like striving, remotely feels like I'm trying to work my way back in is literally, it is unbelief. It is striving. You know, um, even the man at the pool of Bethesda, <laughs> you know, you would think that man didn't have any faith, right? Because of what he was saying. I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. He sounded like an orphan, right? But Jesus saw something in him that went beyond the 38 years of disillusionment, that went beyond everything he'd been through, went beyond his hope deferred as everyone went ahead of him and got in that water every year before him. He still... Jesus, you know, and Isaiah says, a smoldering wick I won't put out, and a bruised reed I won't break. That man had an ember of faith burning in him, and he wasn't unbelieving because Jesus connected to the thing that was already in him. He did cut him off on the complaint part, right? Okay, you got, you know what? In the name of, <laughs> I didn't have to say in the name of Jesus, pick up your mat and walk. He cut off the rant and the complaint. But he saw something in him that he connected with. That man could not have gotten healed without faith. And the person, and faith is a person. So even the faith that that man had wasn't something he had to conjure because faith was standing right in front of him. I can't imagine standing in front of the Lord Jesus and, not, and the anointing and the power that comes off of him and not being impacted and believing. I think it would instantly ignite the gift of faith in me if he was standing in front of me. But no matter how we slice it, it's an act of grace that we believe. It's not something we can do or add anything to. I'll tell you where, um, where our defenses are. I think because of shame, you know, that feeling that we're defective, which is the product of rejection, abandonment, um, uh, deprivation, all of the trauma and all of the things that we go through, they try to label us and they also try to imprint the hard drive of my heart, if you will. So they, they're kind of like this back, background program. I heard somebody say yesterday, it's like, I can't help, but I get bombarded with negative thoughts. And they're like, just always there, always there. Everything that comes at me is discounting what's true and, and I get bombarded. I, I, be, I believe that. I believe that there is a place where we can get overwhelmed and we can be listening to every voice on the planet except for the voice of truth. And so I think 
in the places that we have experienced a lot of hurt, trauma, etc., shame becomes the thing that the enemy partners with and tethers to in order to get us out of a place of belief. That's, that's his number one weapon is shame. Okay, lights came back on. Sorry for having y'all look up my nostrils. Um, right. But anyway, um, I forgot. Where, oh, criticalness. All right. All right. Defense. So when we have that kind of thing going on inside of us, that's the part the enemy goes after. He wants you to believe there's something wrong with you. And if there's something wrong with you, it's the same thing the enemy tempted Eve with in the garden. You are deficient. You are not enough. There's something more that you should be. And so he wants us to partner with our past. He wants us to partner with Egypt, right? And stay in the orphan mindset where we just simply are incapable of thinking that we have any faith. And, and at best, his ultimate goal is that we will wear the breast the breastplate of religion and we will gird ourselves with religion so that we are always constantly on the hamster wheel you know what i mean running 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 trying to do something that <laughs> it's already done he's in me faith is in me faith is a person his name is jesus and so i think one of the things that we could be aware of and i know that i'm guilty of everything that i talk about I like to model all those things, <laughs> is anxiety, criticalness are both defenses against believing. It's a defense mechanism. Why do I have anxiety? Because remember, the whole thing with our, of knocking religion out and knocking it down a hundred million pegs and getting religion out of me is that I have to be able to um, rest and I have to be able to live in a, in a place perpetually where I am, what was I saying? Let me go back to anxiety. Anxiety is a defense because, sorry, I lost my little spot there. Because it's something that we do, that's, that's where I was going. All of these things are ways for us to live independently from God. That's the bottom line. Religion demands that I live separate. It tells me that I am a separate entity. It tells me I am separate from love. I am separate from faith. And it wants me to literally, it, it pulls me to build my own kingdom, to live independently, right? To live apart from God. And that's the, that's the challenge that I have like every hour of the day. With every breath, I'm either in Holy Spirit and I'm connected to what's already in me or I'm pulling in garbage into my head or agreeing with the enemy. And so, because I already think I'm defective. Truth is, you're not. You have everything inside of you that you will ever need. We talked yesterday about, ideally, yes, I don't need anybody to lay hands on me. I don't need anybody to impart. I'm glad to run up on the front and I'll be the first one there. But I do that because I feel like I'm trying to get something from someone else and something they have because my, my belief is I don't. And the truth is I do. I cannot be fused in one with Holy Spirit and not have faith. 
So criticalness, why is, is a defense? Why? Um, let me, I'm sorry, let me go back to anxiety. If I'm anxious and I live in that spot and I feed my anxiety and my, you know, da -da 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 -da, anxiety is really easy to feed. Like, it's like, let's put it this way. It's very easy for me to feel anxiety. I feel anxiety over future stuff, over job stuff. I feel anxious over this. And all of that anxiety is because I'm clinging to an outcome and not a person to begin with. I'm, I'm, my anxiety is about something working out in a way that makes me feel secure as opposed to resting in radical abandonment and surrender to heaven knowing that the Father is good and whatever he has for me is going to be better than, than I know at all that it could be good. It's going to be exceedingly abundantly beyond that. So what is my, what's the purpose? Every behavior has a goal. My anxiety has a goal. My anxiety is the thing that, what is it doing for me? It's giving me a place to live independently from God while I twirl around and stay out of the place of rest so that I don't have to receive the rest that he wants to bring me. Anxiety is a defense mechanism. It serves a purpose like every other kind of behavior. And if I look at what it's doing for me, I'm being anxious because why? Why am I sitting here? And I, I know this one well, my wife will tell you. Why am I sitting here with a pit in my stomach and, and running around? Because the voice that I've been listening to is the voice of the devil as he brings accusation against me. The enemy is going to throw everything at you. He is going to throw everything at the fan and then some because he wants to pull you from your place of rest and confidence that I am believing. And faith is a gift from the Lord Jesus himself. Faith is a person named Jesus. And I already have Jesus. I already have faith. I don't have to work up anymore, find more, refine it. Everything that I just said, every one of those verbs, refine it, conjure it, work it, they're all doing and they're all living apart from God. What he actually called us to do and what faith really looks like is resting and trust. I trust that even though what I see looks this way, the unseen real, that's why we have to live in both places at the same time. That's why we have to be and function in our dual citizenship of heaven and earth. Because if only thing you're looking at is what is seen, you will never, it'll always mitigate, let me say it that way, against believing. What we see mitigates against belief and it creates anxiety. It's why I can't watch the news a lot of times. It's why I couldn't watch the hurricane. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't. Because I knew the enemy was going to come in like a flood and start just flooding me with every kind of anxious thought. But if we consider this, if anxiety is a defense mechanism, then we could tell it to shut up. Every behavior has a goal. What is my anxiety defending me from? It's defending me from rest. Confidence in the one who is the author and the perfecter of my faith and everything in me. 
it, it mitigates against the very one who is inside of me, and who is faith. It's his faith in me. I, we're fused. I can't separate those things out. Another major defense is criticalness. So think about revival. I mean, I mean, revival is messy as all get out. Revival can be scary for a lot of people. And critical people don't want to be out of control. They want control. So if I can criticize something or judge it, what is that doing for me? Every behavior has a goal. So if I'm being critical, what I'm really doing is dismissing and pushing something away from me because I'm terrified of engaging with it. When I'm critical and I stand outside, right, in my self-righteous place, which is at work all the way to the core, there's no grace in that. There's no rest in that, right? There's no rest in being critical. Critical is just a defense that keeps me from having to embrace what's in front of me that terrifies me. So I'll just be critical. Oh, that's not God over there. I've... <laughs> I, I've <laughs> I told my wife, we were having this conversation one day. I had like a year of time that I went through, and it's probably been longer than that, where every person that I met, my initial impression, now all my friends are going to say, oh, you, so you thought that about me. No, it wasn't like that. But there were a lot of things that I stood out here from, and I judged something based on, you know, first impression. All right, it's a lie that first impressions tell you everything because they don't. You cannot get to know a person by having a snapshot that, you, that you're holding in your hand. You need the video that's their whole life before you can make, I mean, you can't do that. Like you can't just take that snapshot and say, okay, those people are this or that. Because every one of the people that I did that with are and on some level, I changed my mind. I let go of being critical. I have been less quick to say that something wasn't God. I don't have to understand it for it to be God. That's what happened in the Toronto revival. Okay, we don't understand why these people were barking like dogs and slain in the spirit, glued to the floor. We don't understand it. We don't get it. So we stand outside of it. The truth is, what if there is flesh and revival? Let's just go there. I remember um, John Wimber saying, when he looked at the manifestations that were going on in the room, he said, 70% of this is probably flesh. The way that we interact with the Holy Spirit, it's cultural, it's, it's, it's part of our upbringing. You know, he said, you know, we have all kind of things that we do when we manifest when God's presence is heavy on us. He said, but 30% of it probably isn't, and I'll go for the 30% every day. There's a lot of things that I don't understand when it comes to um, ha what happens in the context of an intercessory prophetic body of believers, how people respond and prophetic acts. There's a lot of things that I don't fully get. My wife will tell you that whenever I, I we're a multi-stream person, okay? We've been in Vineyard, she's been in YWAM, we Bethel, um, you name it, um, Rodney Howard Brown. I mean, it goes on, okay? We've never been just a one stream person because every stream has something to contribute and none of them have all the answers. So they all have a piece that becomes like their forte. 
and I take the good of what is going on in there. Morning, baby. And um, so my point in that is saying that there is something that can be good in all of it. And, and when I get into those environments, my wife will tell you, when I go to Rodney Howard Brown, it took me about two days before I could really enter into worship. Why? Because some part of me was either being critical or was defended against what was happening because it didn't offend it or defended or offended. We get offended when something doesn't look like the thing that's familiar to me. And I don't want to enter in because it's not familiar. So it would take me a couple days. When we went to Randy Clark's um, Foundations of Healing and Steve Swanson, an incredible worship leader, was there. It took me about <laughs> two days again to kind of get into that because I was standing on the outside first. And I was either defending myself or I was somewhere. It offended my sensibility of what worship was supposed to look like. We came in late to that meeting one night and there was electricity in the air. And from that point forward, I've been able to feel Holy Spirit on my body after being in that one meeting where it was electric and the guy that was leading worship wasn't my style. And it doesn't have to be. So I've been a lot quicker to judge something. I don't fully understand a lot of things. I don't fully understand courts of heaven. I don't fully understand, um, you know, my wife could give you a list. I don't, I, there's a lot of things I don't understand. Um, and that's just one of them. Um, but I don't have to get it for it to be God. I don't have to stand outside and be judgmental because I think God's probably in a lot more things than we think. And so in, in revival, particularly, things get really messy. It's going to be messy sometimes. It's going to be ugly sometimes. Look, if you want the power of the ox, you got to deal with the mess in the stall. If you want the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifest in the habitation that you're in, then you have to be willing to take the mess with it. And in that context, don't let anxiety or criticalness steal my place of rest recognize that both are defenses. They are behaviors that are literally giving me, they're doing something for me. I'm getting something out of them. And the thing that I'm getting out of them is life apart from God in the, in the ultimate sense. Because it moves me from a place of rest. Anything that takes you off of rest and peace is the enemy. Because if you're having anxiety, it's because there's a load of accusation coming at you right now. It might be subtle. You might not be able to put your finger on it. Everything that is not of faith, which is rest, is the enemy. And, it, and the enemy comes into my own defenses and like screams loud and tries to stir them up. He's always stirring the pot. He wants to use my past hurts, my past wounds, my shame. He uses all of that to stir me up into a place of unbelief into believing that God doesn't want to do any of these things for me. His promises are never going to get fulfilled. My destiny is not going to happen. I'm learning present continuous that if those things, anxiety and criticalness are part of what's going on in me, I can stop. I said it on the way over here. I had something come at me on the way here to school and I said, uh-uh, get out. Satan, get out. You don't have any place in my thoughts. 
You know, Bill Johnson says, I don't have time to take, I don't have time to wrestle with those kind of things in my head. I have to do a clean sweep all the time and tell it to get out of my headspace. I don't have time for the voice of condemnation, the voice of guilt, all of those things, accusation, all of it. I have to get it out. So if I know that it's a defense, then it means it's something that I can turn off. And I can choose to be vulnerable in rest, which is very vulnerable. Because I am so, so conditioned to do something. I gotta read more, gotta pray harder, go to more services, I gotta fast for 40 days, I gotta do this. Anything that we do apart from the finished work of Christ is a work for us. Anything we do, we cannot add to the finished work one iota. Not a jot or a tittle can we add to that. The, there's nothing to add to finished work. So anything that comes to move me off of my place of rest and peace and what God has provided and that enables me to see the unseen as more real than what I'm looking at is the enemy straight up and he just have to tell him where to go. You speak to it, it'll go. So that's it for the day. Blessings. Um, love to hear your comments. If you think this is good at all or whatever, you might want to share it. And I will be probably back tomorrow morning for day 109.